You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. She's pretty funny to the end. So I went over to see her in the hospital and uh, mother said to the doctor, do you want to know why George turned out the way he turned out? And the doctor kind of looked. Uh, you know, somewhat perplexed and nodded her head. And mother says, because I drank and smoked when I was pregnant with him. <laughs> I mean, just classic, right? Classic. Former President Bush recalling uh-huh. one of his last visits with his mom, First Lady Barbara Bush, who we are Sense remembering so fondly this morning. I just wanted to pop in here. To most Americans, Barbara Bush was known for her trademark white hair and pearls. But to those who knew her best, her family, she was simply... The Enforcer. The Enforcer. Your mom's nickname? The Enforcer. A tough but loving mother and grandmother with a wicked sense of humor. Like she wears a size, you know... Two and my leg is a size two or something. (laughs) And a strict rule book. If you violated them, she would enforce the rules and do it in in a way that um, was pretty effective. For example, if we left uh, clothes on the floor uh, in our room or, you know, didn't put it, hang up a wet bathing suit, um, grandmother would be very direct. And you'd hear it sometimes from the other side of the house or even outside, uh, you know, for us to get our butt back inside and, and clean up quickly. It didn't matter who you were. She was the sergeant. And he was reading his paper, and Barbara looked over at him. George, take your feet off my table. I said, the guy is president of the United States of America. Give him a break. No, he knows better than that. Your mom didn't hold her tongue? No, not at all. Mother was on the front line and expressed herself frequently. Mother uh, was there to maintain order and discipline. I am the enforcer. There's no question about it. But you got angrier than your husband, didn't you? Always. <laughs> she still does. <laughs> You're feistier than him. True. <laughs> when it came to her husband, former President George H.W. Bush, she was loving. He was Superman, still is. And devoted. You can criticize me, but don't criticize my husband or you're dead. Always fiercely protective of her husband but in a way that avoided the pitfalls of some other first ladies who have seemed overly intrusive. His not-so-secret secret weapon. She had an, a foot with the family and a foot in his career. This idea that she was not politically involved is not true. You know, she was there. Barbara was someone, too, who could, who could tell. George, what she what she thought, and I and she and she would just like she could tell everybody what she thought, and she would. I'm not sure that my grandfather would have obtained nearly as many accolades as he did, uh, but for my grandmother. Critical political partner, an essential political partner. Together for more than seventy years, the Bushes were the longest married couple in presidential history. A love story documented in hundreds of letters between the two. I love you, precious, with all my heart, and to know that you love me means my life. How often I have thought about the immeasurable joy that will be ours someday. How lucky our children will be to have a mother like you. And then later in the letter, good night, my beautiful. Every time I say beautiful, you about kill me, but you'll have to accept it. The public also loved Barbara Bush, making her one of the most popular first ladies in recent history, even though she didn't see it that way. Why don't you like the word popular? Because I don't think it's true, and I don't know how to cope with it, and I just don't like it. I, I, I don't want you to stand up and say, here comes the least popular That's woman. That's right. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, I just don't, it just makes me very uncomfortable. But she used her platform to improve literacy, raising awareness and hundreds of millions of dollars to benefit the cause. If more people could read and write and comprehend crime, everything would be better. 
Occasionally, there was some controversy. In 1990, when Mrs. Bush was asked to speak at Wellesley's commencement ceremony, students protested, claiming she wasn't feminist enough. She responded with a speech that brought everyone to their feet. Who knows? Somewhere out in this audience may even be someone who will one day follow in my footsteps and preside over the White House as the president's spouse. And I wish him well. That political savviness made her a force on the campaign trail well into her 90s. During the 2016 presidential primaries, Mrs. Bush gave one of her last television interviews to CNN while stumping for her son, Jeb. What do you really think of Donald Trump? I do not. I don't even think about him. I'm sick of him. Classic Barbara Bush with no-nonsense candor that sometimes made headlines. This was her response to Alaska Governor Sarah Palin's 2012 presidential hopes. I think she's very happy in Alaska, and uh, I hope she'll stay there. (laughs) And she made news again when asked about her own son, Jeb, running for the White House two years before he did. He's by far the best qualified man, but no. There are, just, there are other people out there that are very qualified, and we've had enough Bushes. She also broke the news to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas that he had the job before her husband officially picked him. I greeted her, and she said, congratulations. And that's when I knew. And she said, oh, I guess I let the cat out of the bag. A few years later, after her husband's loss to Bill Clinton... Comedian Dana Carvey performed at the White House. We walked into their bedroom, and there's a big wall of televisions. Uh, And on one TV was a close-up of Bill Clinton, the new president. Another TV, there was a picture of Ross Perot. So they're side by side. And she just walks in, looks over, sees the two of them, and goes, I I can't figure out which clown to look at. I imagine it took her a lot longer to forgive me than it did him. And... uh, And maybe she never has. It took me a little while, I confess. But eventually, she came around, and Bill Clinton went from political foe to unofficial family member. I love Bill Clinton. Maybe not his politics, but I love Bill Clinton. I'd walk across coals for her. I think she's immensely impressive. A sentiment echoed by her family. She is so smart, so sharp, so aware. She's, She's witty. She's wise. She's kind of got that fierce mama bear type instinct. She'll, she'll defend and support any son or daughter or family member that gets into any kind of trouble. Um, she's been a passionate a- advocate for literacy. So my mom's amazing. I think um, the reasons that you know, my cousins and I have kind of turned out to be productive citizens and have never taken the fact that we were grandkids of the president for granted is because of Barbara Bush. Children grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, all part of the life and legacy of Barbara Pierce Bush. The one request I have is that they stay loving siblings. And so far, so good. And I'll be looking down, so behave yourself. President Herbert Walker Bush had a very endearing relationship with his wife, Barbara, who could be a tough cookie. She died about eight months ago. Take a list of George husband reading a love letter to wife he wrote it to her for their 49th wedding anniversary in 1994 january 6 1994 for barbara pierce from ghwb will you marry me oops i forgot you did that 49 years ago today i was very happy on that day in 1945 but i'm even happier today I have climbed the highest mountain in the world, but even that cannot hold a candle of being Barbara's husband. Mum used to tell me, now, George, don't walk ahead. Little did she know. (laughs) No, don't, don't do that. Little did she know what? I was only trying to keep up. Oh, my God. You, see, you can see who's dying their hair, by the way. <laughs> Susan, Susan Page joins her now, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. You know, uh, test of time. 
that marriage, something else. It lasted 73 years, yeah. 73 years, and they were in high school when they met and fell in love. What they are you up teenagers. to? Yeah, they were teenagers. You're pretty much up there, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm up to 37 years. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's good. How about you? 42. Okay, so if you combined our marriages, maybe we would match the bushes. Oh, what am I saying? 38. Sorry. Yeah. You're really supposed to know that number. It's 38. Okay, it's 38. Uh, let me ask you about your coverage. You you gave you did the last interview with President Bush. Yes. Uh, it was last November, almost exactly a year ago. I'd, I'd been working on a biography of Barbara Bush that comes out in this next spring, and he had agreed to an interview. It was it was the last, I believe, it was the last interview he did with a journalist. Um, you know, he had, he was suffering from a form of Parkinson's disease. It had robbed him of, of his mobility. He was using a wheelchair. That was extremely frustrating for him. And he understood things and had thoughts, but it was hard for him to speak. So you needed to ask questions in a way that could be answered in a few in a few words. Um, but I asked him, well, I, I said, uh, uh, you know, you at this high school dance at the Greenwich Country Club where you first saw Barbara Bush, do you remember what you thought? And he said, I thought she was so beautiful. Yeah, she was. She was kind of, she had kind of a sassy look, too. It looked like a lot of fun, you know? A sassy look, sassy personality. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were such a compliment to one another. Yeah. In that, uh, in that she was, uh, had a little more, a little sharper edge than, than George Bush did. And there were times when he needed her sharper edge, and there were times when she needed his softer touch. Now, welcome to Bridging the Political Gap. I'm Randall Wallace, and this is a special broadcast honoring Barbara Bush, who was... Uh, George Bush's wife of 73 years. And uh, I couldn't think of a better way to start this program than uh, the great Bush sense of humor from the first president and uh, uh, looking at what she was known for. Barbara Bush was known to be the enforcer, and and while that's the, the, the part of the family thing, I can tell you, even as a volunteer in South Carolina that uh, there was a world difference between an event we had in Myrtle Beach for George W. Bush when he was running and he was governor and later when she came to campaign, that staff told us volunteers, you better get this right because Mrs. Bush, you know <laughs> she was clearly in charge and uh, but I found her to be uh, an extremely uh, nice lady and I've said this I, I love there are several presidents that I consider among the greatest and that I admire. Uh, Richard Nixon, uh, George H.W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, Harry Truman, Ulysses S. Grant. A lot of them on that list that I consider great presidents. But if I had to say who my favorite first lady is, there's no question. It's Barbara Bush. And uh, and it's for all those reasons. She had a great sense of humor, but she you could you knew you weren't going to mess with her either. And... and uh, and I admired that. And so with this show, we're just going to take a look at the First Lady, Barbara Bush. And I figured the best place to start, the marriage between Barbara Bush and George Bush. They are the longest married couple in presidential history. Their remarkable love story spanning more than seven decades. It's a journey that started in 1941 when Barbara Pierce met her husband-to-be George Bush at a school dance. I could hardly breathe. I thought he was so beautiful. On their first date, George strategically borrowed a car. He told me later, I got the Oldsmobile because it had a radio, and I was afraid we'd have nothing to say to each other. Turns out, they had a lot to say. December 12th, 1943. My darling Barr, this should be a very easy letter to write. Their courtship played out in the shadow of the young Navy pilot's call of duty. The love letters they shared, all the more precious today. Good night, my beautiful. Every time I say beautiful, you about kill me, but you'll have to accept it. Their letters were tender, full of romance, longing, and promise. The two were married in 1945 while the groom was on leave from the war. I love you, precious, with all my heart. And to know that you love me means my life. But soon they would be together for good and start a family. In all modesty, no mother was ever more blessed than we are. We have great children. The loyal couple rearing five children, the proud grandparents of 17, the growing family, an immense source of pride. Being married to George Bush has never been boring. 
from Congress to the United Nations, China, and the CIA, their love and admiration for each other only grew and took them to the White House. One of the reasons I made the most important decision of my life to marry George Bush is because he made me laugh. It's true, sometimes we laugh through our tears, but that shared laughter has been one of our strongest bonds. Find the joy in life, because as Ferris Bueller said on his day off, (laughs) life moves pretty fast, and you don't stop and look around once in a while, you're going to miss it. Barbara was always George's biggest fan, advocating here for his re-election. You make me feel wonderful, but then I always feel wonderful when I get to talk about the strongest, the most decent, the most caring, the wisest, yes, and the healthiest man I know. And though he lost his second term, Barbara joked that he had other skills, too. He's the best little dishwasher in the state of Texas. Their dynamic was playful. The former president joking he was his wife's second kiss. When we tell our children what I tell them, I never knew I was the first girl you ever kissed. But when I told them that that you were the first person I ever kissed. No, I was the second, darling. Haven Abbott. Oh, he was not. (laughs) And as they grew old together, their love story endured the test of time. What about the role of husband? What's it been like being married to Ganny? It's been a challenge and a, a reward. She's the number one person in my life. In the family, she calls all the shots. She's a wonder. And she brought you kids? Any kids, and then together we rejoice in grandkids. So that part's wonderful. Each faced health challenges with grace and fortitude. President Bush in recent years was confined to a wheelchair, but little slowed them down. They often supported their hometown teams, even answering the Houston Texans' kiss cam call. And perhaps surprising us most of all, two years ago, both were admitted to the hospital. President Bush gravely ill. Mrs. Bush, very sick herself, refused to leave her husband's side. Then, just weeks later, Super Bowl guests few could have predicted. And help us welcome two very special guests. The stadium on its feet to honor the devoted couple. And just weeks ago, the former first lady telling her alma mater, Smith College, I am still old and still in love with the man I married 72 years ago. Their love story ending as it began with so much to say. Little did I know I was only trying to keep up, keep up with Barb Barb Pierce from Onondaga Street in Rye, New York. I love you. I love you, too. Wow. We should all be that lucky. And I'm an old bachelor, so I haven't had a lot of luck in that department. But uh, what, what an extraordinary you know, love affair for 73 years between the two of them. Now, I want to take a look back at their entire life and career. Uh, and Barbara Bush, as a campaigner and a first lady and the matriarch of an American political dynasty. NBC in 1999, Bush read a letter he had written to his wife five years earlier on their 49th anniversary. January 6, 1994, for Barbara Pierce from GHWB. Will you marry me? Oops, I forgot. You did that 49 years ago today. I was very happy on that day in 1945, but I'm even happier today. I have climbed the highest mountain in the world, but even that cannot hold a candle to being Barbara's husband. Mum used to tell me, now, George, don't walk ahead. Little did she know. No, no, don't do that. Little did she know what? I was only trying to keep up. And another letter about a first kiss. I kissed Barbara, and I'm glad of it. I don't believe she will ever regret it or resent it. (laughs) I certainly am not ashamed of it. I've never kissed another girl. When we tell our children what I tell them, I never knew I was the first girl you ever kissed. But when I told them that, that you were the first person I ever kissed... No, I was the second, darling. 
Haven Abbott. Oh, he was not. <laughs> he was in there. God, he knows. You know Haven. That's not true. <laughs> but having I, said that, they all... No, Haven's you may not. <laughs> yes, I think he is. He has children, too. But uh, anyway... They th- they can sort of look like yuck, carry on, but that's the truth. You both married the first person you ever kissed? Strange, I admit. Still staying with your story? <laughs> yes, I am. Barbara Pierce Bush died on April 17th, 2018. As always, George Bush was at her side. And when mourners came to pay their respects, he returned the favor, greeting them from his wheelchair, thanking them as they filed past her casket. Surrounded by family, he attended her funeral, holding up and staying strong despite his failing health. George and Barbara Bush were together for 73 years, the longest marriage in American presidential history. She was indispensable to her husband's success. I've always felt I was the world's luckiest woman. Nobody ever had a greater, more precious family. Nobody ever had a better husband. I think George Bush and I are as good friends, Uh, as close as any two people I know. You know, we were married at 19 and 20, and we really sort of see the world through the same eyes. She was the mother that went to the Little League games, raised the kids, balled them out. I chose to bring up my children. I mean, I had that choice, and I know it was a luxury. Both George and Barbara Bush campaigned hard during the week. I was gone a lot. She was the one that comforted uh, our daughter when she was dying. She was the one that, uh, that's kind of been there. After she died, it was a terrible time in our life. I really sort of fell apart. Sort of hard for me to talk about. But... Um, He just put his arms around me and did not let me step away. And I loved him even more after that. I've shared George all of my married life with lots of people. When George Bush is in the room, people knock me down to get to him. And I understand that. But I must say, it is not ego building. But George has shared, so I don't feel left out, and I don't feel like, oh, you've lived your husband's life. I'm glad he looks young, and I wish to heck I did, too. Oh, bar here, which in here? I really love him, and he's made my life so happy, and he's shared with me, and uh, I don't feel I'm, quote, just a political wife. For soon, she'll be the first lady of all the United States. you're the president's wife you don't have to make any decisions i mean look at me i don't threaten anyone got nice white hair and little fat face and i like people and it's easy i don't agree with him on everything and uh, he and i know what those things are i want you to care what he thinks he's the president i'm not I haven't been elected to public office. I'm not courageous enough to do that. I want to welcome you all to the White House. And I might say with some little husbandly pride, uh, the Silver Fox is doing one heck of a job for education. For Barbara Bush, I campaign my way. And uh, since I'm so old and so mean and so tough, nobody dares tell me not to. I, too, agree that character and integrity are very important. I want to thank my entire family with a special emphasis on a woman named Barbara. The love of my father's life has been Barbara Bush. She was a great first lady, and she earned and won the respect of a lot of American people because they saw her, but she is down to earth, a loving mother, caring individual, trying her hardest to do something about literacy and setting an example with no bull about it. I've built my life around the world's greatest man and the world's greatest children. At the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. You will regret time not spent with a husband, a child, a friend, or a parent.
You've got two choices in life. You can like what you do, or you can dislike what you do. I've chosen to like what I do, and I think I'm the luckiest woman in the world. Your host for Bridging the Political Gap. I want to thank you first for tuning in to our podcast and invite you to come to our website, RandallWallace.com. There you can get a copy of our book, Always Vote Your Conscience, Don't Take It Personally, and Don't Fight the Same Old Battles Over and Over Again, with a lot of policy suggestions and things that I think everyone could embrace, an argument for why we need to be working together instead of fighting with each other. Also, you can take a look at the first 11 episodes of this podcast which was a podcast documentary that looked at the World War II generation of bipartisan leadership that built the American century and the lessons we can learn from them to apply to today's situations. Again, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And if you've enjoyed our show, please leave us a review at wherever you get your podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. ask you this because I think that is one of the most poignant passages in the book yeah is when you talk about the loss of your sister Robin she was three years old right leukemia right correct Uh, what kind of an impact did that have on your family well uh, I can only tell you first of all for on me uh, it, it had not much in the sense that I was six years old I really didn't understand what was happening we're in Midland the child uh was taken to New York I say we, Jeb was like barely born. Uh, I watched my mother and father cry for the first time. Uh, in the book, I allude to the fact that I, I, uh, my, I could tell my mother was hurting a lot and therefore became her playmate. She finally had to kick me out of the house, so mm-hmm. I go play with people I was supposed to be playing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 I think it caused their marriage to be incredibly stronger. It was a great marriage. It got even better. Uh, it, it, Dad was always a sensitive person throughout his life. His mother was, you know, a very angelic type person. It had to have made his heart even more tender when he lost a child. He, he in, later, in his later years now, in his later years, he talks about, I love you more than tongue can tell, which is, you know, around, uh, one of the few last words he heard from the little girl dying of leukemia. Tell, tell me about that. Uh, what she said. Well, she looked up at him and said, I love you more than tongue can tell, which is, uh, you know, it's a beautiful statement by a three-year-old child ready to pass on. And it uh, it obviously, I mean, I'm sure dad wept. And, uh, and, and now he uses it himself. And of course, when he uses it, it causes all of us to weep. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a very sensitive, thoughtful, loving man who over time learned to express his love um, more and more. He wasn't much of a hugger when we were growing up, and nor were a lot of dads coming out of World War II huggers. Uh, but as he got older in life, he, uh, he, he talked in such a tender fashion to his children, and, and in particular his grandchildren, who all adore him. George and Barbara started their family in 1946. Over the following 13 years, the couple had six children, George Walker, Robin, Jeb, Neil, Marvin, and Dorothy. In the middle of it, in 1953, tragedy struck. She's told us that Robin had leukemia. Well, what do you do for leukemia? Well, she said, you don't do anything. She's going to die. And we said, no, I don't think so. And she said, my advice is take her home, uh, love her. Uh, In about two weeks, she'll be gone. But they didn't give up that easily. They took Robin across the country to a hospital looking for a miracle. They took bone marrow tests, which were painful. A lot of blood and 
They put her on chemo, and poor Gampy, every time she got a blood transfusion, he'd have to leave the room. Despite the treatments, Robin died months later, just shy of her fourth birthday. The Bushes donated Robin's body for research. I was combing her hair and holding her hand. I saw that little body. I saw her spirit go. You know, when you hear that story about Robin uh, Bush, it makes everything that the Bush, Barbara Bush and, and President George H.W. Bush accomplished even that much more remarkable. Um, you know, in our family, my family, we lost a brother who was much, much older than Robin. He was 25. But I saw up close what that does to a family and what it does to parents. Uh, and my dad really never got over it, even though, you know, like I said, Keith was 25. Uh, and you can see that the Bushes never really got over it. And yet they moved on. And what a great example about, you know, coming together and, and, and moving on, even though it's a very obvious if you, when you saw video of Mr. or Mrs. Bush talking about it, that it was something that they actually never really got over. And I don't think any parent does. It was a beautiful child, just three years old when she died. The subject was still so sensitive decades later that Bush could not read the letter himself. So he had Barbara read it for him. There is about our house a need, the running, pulsating restlessness of the four boys as they struggle to learn and grow. The world embraces them. All this wonder needs a counterpart. We need some starched, crisp frocks to go with our torn kneed blue jeans and helmets. We need some soft, blonde hair to offset those crew cuts. We need a dollhouse to stand firm against our forts and rackets and thousand baseball cards. We need a cutout star to play alone while the others battle to see who's family champ. We even need someone who could sing the descant to Alouette, while outside they scramble to catch the elusive ball aimed ever roofward, but usually thudding against the screens. We need a legitimate Christmas angel, one who doesn't have cuffs beneath the dress. We need someone who's afraid of frogs. We need someone to cry when I get mad, not argue. We need a little one who can kiss without leaving egg or jam or gum. We need a girl. <laughs> no good at that. We got a girl. Got a good one. Got a girl. The reference is to daughter Dorothy, the Bush's youngest child, born in 1959, not long after that letter was written. Mrs. Bush was such an extraordinarily strong lady, and uh, never more so than when she was, like in that letter, just kind of filling in those gaps, because President Bush was just a really good and decent man, and obviously a pretty tender-hearted one. I enjoyed, um, on Fox News, a little clip that I found of the President and Mrs. Bush touring Tony Snow around their museum in, uh, in Texas. And I thought this was a real treat. And you get to see just what a great rapport that the two had together. I think Robin made every person more valuable to us. And I, and I refuse to let her be a negative. I, I want her life to be a positive. And she has been there. Rome's named after her and wonderful gifts given in her name. And George and I do a lot for cancer in her name. And I think the world's better off because of Robin. You can see that bottom of that airplane because that was, it was easy to land. You pull the tail down and, yeah. and it just skids in on with the, with the Bombay closed. I never thought the thing would be that big. It's Huge. enormous. It was the largest, largest and carrier plane. a tiny plane. aircraft carrier compared to what yeah, we have now. Yeah, most the narrowest deck aircraft carrier in the fleet. It ran with a fast carrier. It wasn't a jeep carrier, they called it. It was with a fast carrier, task force carrier. And there's the submarine that rescued us, rescued me. You know what? I want to go back here and look at this baseball glove for a minute. Now, you've got this baseball glove from Yale. That's the one I used. But you were the captain. Also, you shook hands with Babe Ruth. You got the picture. There we go. There's Babe Ruth. He was dying of cancer. 
I was the captain of the Yale team. You look so uh, he came to present his papers, or this this must have been his papers, to the uh, Yale Library. At one point, you said you'd rather watch Hee Haw than a baseball game. <laughs> when did he say that? Well, I probably, I said, I'm a country music. You know, Tony, it's something silly, but a lot of people said, well, he's came up, grew up in the East, in Yale and all. Uh, so he's posing as a country music guy. He says he likes pork rinds. And, I mean, there again, I couldn't get through the myth. I mean, Do you know the, the, that pork rinds are considered healthier than potato chips or popcorn? Let's start having them again. They, gave the <laughs> they are. I just heard that the other day. I knew you'd be thrilled. You learn new things. <laughs> we got the CIA years, and you're there for a year. There were one fascinating year, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Obviously, they loved him. They just named the, the, the center after him. No. You look like Mortimer Schnurd there. Well, <laughs> I hate to point that out to you. Nobody fortunately will remember who Mortimer Schnurd is. So. I'm not sure I remember. <laughs> Last year, that was the 25th year I had that boat. We decided to send it down here. Gosh, we had fun You know fun what he told me, boat. Tony? He said, you know, the library is insisting <laughs> that I give them the boat. When we look at that clip, you see that easy way that George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush had with each other. It's really a, quite a beautiful thing. And there's other news. Now, I thought we would close with Mrs. Bush and Larry King on Larry King Live. This is when Mrs. Bush was... Um, out promoting her book that she wrote in 1994, about two years after she left office. And it covers a lot of subjects. There's some questions uh, that get asked by the public back when they used to do the call-in lines. She'll talk about the battle with depression she had. Um, of course, she'll talk about President Bush. You she, she, she could just tell how much she adored him. And her kids and her grandkids and the fact that her two sons, Jeb and George Bush, are both maneuvering and about to run for governor uh, of one in Texas, one in Florida. And this is a really good interview. Larry King really was a really good uh, interviewer. I always enjoyed his show because it wasn't, you know, like three talking heads screaming at each other the way it is today. But you really get a feel for Mrs. Bush uh, in this interview. Why, Barbara, did this very private person, which you are, write this? Well, because my husband couldn't keep a job. <laughs> no, because That's a good pet line on the book tour. Right. Now why you've did you, been there. Why did you write? Well, it? because I I really didn't plan to write a book, but three publishers came to me at the White House after George lost and said, "We would like to publish your book." I said, "Well, I don't have a book." And they said, well, "It's a well-known fact that you have kept diaries." And uh, and then they offered me a sum I couldn't say no to. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. That kind of offer. That kind of offer. It was very nice. And Larry, it turned out to be absolutely the best thing that could have happened to me. I loved writing it. Why? Well, because I always knew that I was lucky and that life had been good to me. But I really remembered again how really good it had been. Because some people, when they face the catharsis of a book, and in order for a book to be successful, it has to be honest. Mine have a difficult honest. time no, letting I, it out. I loved writing the book. And, and let me just give you an example. I told George this on the phone this, this morning or last night before I went to bed, he called. I awakened Monday morning in New York City, having said goodbye to George Bush. And I looked and the airplane went into the White House and a lot of things happened. The Pope, um, Arafat met with Rabin. A lot of things happened. And I sat and watched the news. Darling Jessica Tandy died and Hume Crone. I thought about Cronin. And I, I thought, you know, I knew every single person or place that was on that television set thanks to George Bush, with the exception of Arafat. And George did meet him this year. But every other person knew me and I knew them. Quite a life. That's an amazing life. I knew it from writing the book. But I told George, I said, it really struck me how really great a life you've given me. But also from looking at the book, aspects of it Barbara Bush didn't like. Of course. Nobody likes a child to die or losing an election. Nobody likes, you know, the ugly parts of politics. Did you but like the I loved, public life? Sure. You did? I love people. I really, I really loved living in the White House, but I don't miss it at all. I miss Explain the people. That. Well, I miss the people. Don't, don't you miss what you love? No. No, because I got more. We're having the best time you've ever known. Well, you've never looked better, and George has never looked better. The he looks terrific. Unbelievable. What 
was the least thing about the White House you liked. One was, if you didn't have to put up with it again, fine. What did you like? That'd be very hard for me to say. I'm not a negative person. I loved the White House. I loved the people who worked there. I loved the life. I loved the fact that every day you could get up and do something that helped other people. But the marvelous part is that does not stop after you leave the White House. It turns out that uh, George and I are both serving on hospital boards and we can raise money and uh, we're working for AmeriCares. We're going to go off at the end of this tour to a Central America country and take food and Where supplies. Go all over? No, just to a Central American country. Don't ask me because I'm a little tired mm-hmm. tonight. I've forgotten. What about but, the isolation of the White House? There is an isolation. No, you because are... I had great friends. I will say, though, if you have a friend in the White House, for heaven's sakes, call her or him. People don't call you. But I had, you know, Andy Stewart and Phyllis Draper. And, in other words, people think she's so she's Oh, she's too busy to talk. And I had wonderful daughters and sons who lived here who came by. Pretty regularly. All right. How do you feel about two sons in politics, both running for governor of two huge states? I think we're just the country's lucky to have them. They're the two best qualified, finest young men you've ever known. Were you surprised at either one of them entering the political ring? Not really, because they'd worked so hard in their communities and in their parties for years. Both of them are pretty successful businessmen and have very strong families. And I I tell you, it touched both George and me because you might have thought they'd have been turned off after the ugly 1992. They love their father and he adores them. And for them to get into politics, if you're listening, you bad boys, uh, you made your dad and mom very, very happy. That's very nice. That's true. Do you feel this? Do you get this feel? Are you... Angry at Governor Richards and Governor no, Childs? No, Do you want to see, you know, I mean, you, no. You I want that. the best man to win, and we know who they are, don't we? <laughs> Do you think they're both going to win? Yes. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful. And don't around? go by what I think, though. I, I mean, others have told me. If you want another way to go, don't go with me. I'm always wrong. But Do you go to fundraisers and the like for them? If they ask me, I hate to say that out loud, but I'm ready. Your son, Jeb, said that it was about four in the afternoon, the day of the election. Mm-hmm. He told me that you knew mm-hmm. you weren't going to win. Our son, George, came and told mm-hmm. us. And you had a great line. You said, how do I make airport reservations? Or, no, how do I get a driver's license, right? Mm-hmm. You, you hadn't had to go apply for one. I'm driving. You all watch out. <laughs> You're back on the road again. I'm on the road again. How painful was well, defeat? You've you had someone- defeat before. Someone you love, well, that was painful, too. I don't want to tell you that was easy, but if you adore your husband, that's hard. But George Bush would tell you that I, the minute we lost, maybe a couple of days later, um, had started sort of mentally packing myself, and I was home by the time we got there. And people have been so nice to us. And Houston, Texas, are you a Texan? No. Larry L. King is. You ought to be lucky. That's right. If you were (laughs) lucky, you'd be from Texas. But I mean, our house was unpacked. The garden in the rented house was planted. There were yellow ribbons all over the city. People still act almost two years later like they're glad to see us. Was the lame duck aspect those last few months in the White House tough? Well, it was hard for. George was so busy still being president. We had Somalia and we had Saddam. No, because uh, it was tough when I sat down and thought about it, but we had Christmas to get through. And um, I'm really not going to kid you. I loved everyone from the maintenance man to the janitor to the plumbers to the florists to the ushers to the butlers and then all the rest of them. I loved every one of those 93 people and I think knew them. All right, we're going to go to phone calls for Barbara Bush, and we start with Norfolk, Virginia. Hello. Hello. Thank you, Mr. King, for such an honor and a privilege. You do a great job. Thank you. Mrs. Bush, I'm Don Wood from Norfolk, and I would just like to ask you, with the Haiti situation, how, what did President and you go through, President Bush go through, when you had to make the decision to actually commit troops to the Persian Gulf? It must have been a tough decision. Well, it was my husband's decision. And I went through it only with him uh, because because I made no decisions. I want I you to know that. How was it like to go through? It was awful. 
terrible. George, having been to war, knows what it's like to send someone else's son or daughter to war. It, it was a very um, terrible time, but, you know, I very immodestly think that George Bush taught us how to keep the peace. Before we take the next call, I forgot. Why don't you like the word popular? Well, because I don't think it's true, and I don't know how to cope with it, and I just don't like it. And I, I, I don't want you to stand up and say, here comes the least popular That's one. That's right. Uh -huh. I mean, uh, I just don't, it just makes me very uncomfortable. New Canaan, Connecticut with Barbara Bush. Hello. This is Bush. The nation owes you and the president a great debt of gratitude for years of service. Um, however, I have a question for you. Do you believe that... Hello? Do I believe what? We lost him, I think. To uh, Riyadh... Saudi Arabia, hello. Yes, hi, Mr. Larry. I'm really delighted, and uh, thank you for your effort. Thank you. Uh, hi, Ms. Hi, Ms. Bush. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, first of all, I would like you to convey uh, my deep regard, regard to our brave friend, Mr. Bush. Aren't you uh, nice? Secondly, I would like, secondly, I would like to ask you, uh, what were your last thoughts while leaving the White House? What, what were my last like? thoughts by, when I left the White House? You look very That's, sad in the picture. Well, I wasn't very happy in a way, but I was, I, I hope I was just remembering all those wonderful times. But we did love the people, and I haven't been back to see them, and I hope they know I love Why them. Why not? I just wasn't ready. George went back, but I'm just not ready. You're not emotionally ready? No, I just, uh, they're doing their thing, the new president, and they ought to do it. And they know I love them. But, if but, not, I'm telling you now. But if Hillary called and said, please come for... They did ask us for the night, which was very thoughtful during the NAFTA signing time. And George went, and he enjoyed it immensely. So they were very hospitable. I but, just wasn't ready. Are you ready now? No. How did you emotionally deal during that short period of time when there were all those stories in, in tabloids about infidelity? Well, how can you... you I know, mean, emotionally, how do you deal with something like that? Well, I had no problem. It never None happened. None Nobody all. ever accused George Bush of anything. Rumors, ugly rumors, politically. I had no problem. George and I talked about it, and we said, isn't it sick how people do something like this? The job of his, it appears, that you liked the least was CIA. Well, that's because I can't keep a secret. I'm going to tell you the <laughs> honest truth. And I, I mean, we discussed it, and we both know I can't so keep a secret. So he didn't tell you? I asked him not to tell me, but he did share with me. But, you know, you're talking about the depression I had. Yeah. I, I really, it was, it was stupid of me, Larry. I'm glad now I... What do you mean I stupid? You can't control it. No, but I could have gotten help. But I was too sort of proud to get help. And when George, he was the only person I told. I didn't tell Andy Stewart, my closest friend in the world. I didn't tell anybody. What's my depression sister, like? My, Awful. It's painful and it really physically hurts. It's been described that as, uh, no news is good news, that nothing can please you when you're well, in it. Well, it wasn't maybe quite that bad. I mean, I faked beautifully. Oh, hey. I mean, I faked through it. Mike but it, Wallace worked every day of it. Did he? Yeah. Well, every day God bless him because it's just a terrible thing to have. And, and you, you. How did uh, you lick it? I don't know. But George just held me. And he, he would suggest, you know, why don't you go to a doctor? And then I'd think, he thinks I'm crazy. I only cried at night when I could just keep him awake. And, uh, I mean, it was terrible. I'm, but having said that, I was the right age, menopause. My children were gone for the first time. Uh, it was a job I couldn't share. And we'd had such fun in China and the UN. And I loved all that being part of his life. And the Republican National Committee. And all of a sudden, all that sort of, but it was, it was really the physical thing. And a doctor could have helped me. And sure. I was too stupid to go. And drugs could have helped. Yes. But I, I just didn't want to tell anyone. I mean, I was ashamed of it. I, my code was you think about other people. Stop thinking about, obviously you're thinking about yourself. That just isn't true. I mean, I worked hard at the Washington home every day. I gave slide programs of China. George took me abroad with him on trips. I did a lot of things. But inside... I just hurt. But I'm over it. I was sad to read in the USA Today, though, that it, comes, it recurs to people. And I said, not me, big boy. <laughs> Oceanside, California. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Bush. And hello also from Davis, Oklahoma. Oh, good. 
I've got, um, you often say that you had two choices in life, um, that you could like what you're doing or dislike it, and mm-hmm. you always chose to like it. What gave you the insight and, and strength to really live by that? Because it has inspired me. Is your name Casey? It is. I love you, Casey. Wait a minute, who is this? <laughs> she was my aide for years, and she's right. I had two choices in life. You can like what you do or not. Casey, when did you work for Barbara? I was with her uh, 1987, 88, and part of 89. You're a good girl. How's the baby? He's wonderful. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. How's Hugh? Great, also. Now, what, when you say, Casey, an inspiration, in what way? Um, that it, it's true. I mean, she truly taught me that um, you do have two choices, and you can like it or you can dislike it, and if you like it, you're going to make everybody else a lot happier, too, as well as yourself. And I just have always wondered where she got that. I got it from her. <laughs> All right, she got it from you. Where did you get it from? I don't know, but it's sure true. Like what you do. I love you. She traveled with me three years. I recognize that beautiful. Oh, and Davis, right Oklahoma got me. Lawton, Oklahoma. Hello. Good evening. Mrs. Bush, it is such a privilege to talk to you. I wondered, you and your husband have lived such an exciting life and, and gone everywhere and, and met everyone. Is there anything you never had a chance to do that now you'd like to do? Good question. That's a good question. And, uh, I, well, I used to think I wanted to go down the Rhine, over the, the wine country in France on a barge with bicycles, but uh, with all my family. I think I better hurry if I'm still going to be able to ride the bike. But, no, the truth is... You've done everything I've, you wanted to do. Yeah, but I'm still willing to keep trying. I broke 100 in golf last summer and again this summer, and I want to now get down... Better in it. So I like. I, By the way, election night. Are you going to be in Florida or Texas? I'm going to be in uh, Houston, Texas, with George Bush. On the phone to Jeb. On the phone to Jeb and on the phone to George in Dallas. I'm not going to be with either boy. Either one, but you'll be in Texas. Unless you boys call and ask me to be there. By the way, why do you? What if they both call? George will go to one, and I'll go to the other. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that happens. I bet it doesn't. No, doesn't. Well, I don't mm. know. But why do I've you, kept the day open. Why do you call your husband by his full name? Now, that is the darndest thing. I've been asked that all week. That's to differentiate between George Jones and George Smith. Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Hello. Hi, Larry. Hi. Hi, Mrs. Bush. Hi. I got two questions. One's a small one. Um, how's oh. Millie? And <laughs> would you great. think that's good? And would you ever think about running for public office? No. I'm 69, number one, and number two, I'm not qualified, but would you vote for me? <laughs> I think you would. What about, we have a couple minutes left, campaigning. Do you like or dislike it? Uh, some days I loved it, and some days I hated it. Um, sometimes I was so tired, as is every candidate, what candidate and wife, that I just thought, I, I can't move. The hotel windows don't open, and the motels have hard beds, and they all smell like cigarette smoke. Some days. Some days you're in the most beautiful places in the world. And the same is true of the candidate. Yes. Oh, definitely the candidate. Orlando, Florida. Hello. Hi. Good evening, Mrs. Bush. We love you very much. We're excited about your son's hopeful his gubernatorial election this year. Most importantly, how's Millie? Millie is great, and I loved what you said about Jeb. Thank you. Uh, when you get back to private life, what's been the toughest part, the toughest adjustment? Uh, uh, this is honestly true, and it sounds a little bit selfish, but it never occurred to me that I could never walk down the street again. I always loved walking in Kennebunkport down the Ocean Drive to downtown and back. It was a good exercise, and I loved doing it. People drive off the road now. They ask you. You and, go shopping with George, though, right? You go to Sam's. Well, we race. He stops and signs autographs, and I race through and shop. But, and, but and he's no much more generous life, right? than I am. Do you miss your driving sedans with Supreme Court? No, no, Court, I drive. I drive. You drive? Uh-huh. The Supreme Court in front of you? I mean the Supreme Court. Secret Service in front of you and behind you? No, I just drive. Barbara, you're not <gasps> Watch out for me on the road. She's on the road. Watch out. She's on the road. Be careful, folks. How long is this book tour you're on? Uh, We'll be through about the 28th or 9th. I'm going to end in Florida and then fly back to Maine and then go off with George to Central America. That's when? Next year? No, the 1st of October. 
And then you'll be back in time for the elections. Oh, no, I'll be back two days later to speak in Baton Rouge. I'll be there. And then you, if the boys invite, you're on the way. You bet. Thank you, Bob. Thanks a lot. Great I love scene. being on the program. Great having you with us. I'll even come again. Anytime. <laughs> First time she came here. I don't want to be here. <laughs> Dearest Ganny, when we lost you, we lost one of the greats. You are our family's rock, the glue that held us together. I hope you know in your final days how many people prayed for you, how many people told me they loved you. It was like that my whole life. People stopped me everywhere, in airports, on the street, and declared their love for you. It always felt good. We didn't mind sharing you with the world. We called you the Enforcer. It was because you were a force and you wrote the rules. Your rules were simple. Treat everyone equally. Don't look down on anyone. Use your voices for good. Read all the great books. Oh, how I'll miss sharing books with you. I will never forget when Barbara and I, as seven-year-old, snuck into the bowling alley of the White House and ordered presidential peanut butter sandwiches. We couldn't wait for someone to deliver what was sure to be the fanciest sandwich of our lives. Then you opened the door, scolding us, telling us under no circumstances could we order food in the White House again. This was not a hotel. You taught us humility and grace. You and Gampy embodied unconditional love. At our wedding, Henry and I asked you to read because we so hoped we could emulate your love story. Your love letters will be passed down to my girls so they know what true devotion looks like. You always said humor helps. Our nights spent around the dinner table in Maine laughing at old family stories were made all the better because of your laugh. And humor was necessary because of summers you spent surrounded by 17 raucous grandkids in Kenny Bunkport. Grandkids who filled the hot tub with soap, creating a giant bubble bath. Rowdy kids who loved doing cannonballs over your head while you peacefully swam laps. From you, Ganny, I've learned the gift of uniqueness and authenticity. From wearing mix-matched keds to your signature pearls and snow-white hair. You taught us that humor, wit, and grace are the best accessories, and that worrying too much about your looks, in your own words, is boring. Words matter. Kindness matters. Looks fade. One of your final emails to me was simple and true. The subject line read, you. In the body of the email you wrote, I am watching you. I love you, Ganny. Well, Ganny, we have spent our lives watching you. Your words inspired us, your actions an example to follow. We watched as you held babies living with HIV to dispel the stigma, as you championed literacy across our country, as you held Gampy's hand. You always said that you were one of the luckiest women to ever live, but Gans, I am filled with gratitude because you were ours. We are the lucky ones. You did things on your own terms up until the very end, and now you are reunited with your little girl, Robin. She died so young. You called her your sweet angel in heaven. And though I never met her, her words are still today and forever will be a treasured part of our family. And so, Ganny, we love you more than tongue can tell. Love, Jenna.
Thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on, on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again, and so long for now.